because everybody lives, to some extent or other, with problems to solve, with answers to find, with predictions to make. And that's all Connections does. Hello, welcome to On The Edge, a podcast about making unexpected connections everywhere and anywhere. My name is Roland Harwood, and in each episode, we share a recent conversation with somebody who is seizing new opportunities and avoiding the pitfalls of our increasingly connected world. In this first episode, I'm excited to welcome James Burke, who's been a huge influence on me personally since I first discovered him over a decade ago. And I was lucky enough to spend some time with him recently in a slightly noisy cafe in West London. For those of you that aren't familiar with him, James has been called one of the most intriguing minds in the world and actually started out his career as a teacher in Italy, where by chance he got involved in trying to make a documentary about the Mafia. This led him to becoming a BBC TV presenter in the 1960s with a long-standing science programme, Tomorrow's World, which then led him to becoming the face of the BBC's coverage of the moon landings in 1969, which made him very well known all across the UK. For me, it was the work he's done since the late 1970s that's most interesting and relevant today, where he created a documentary series called Connections, which was incredibly popular in the United States and all around the world. Connections tells many stories from the history of science and technology and shows how everything really is incredibly connected and not how you might think. The entire series is still available to view on YouTube and I think still stands up as compelling TV today and has captured the imagination of many people, myself included. When we met up a few weeks ago, I started out by asking him what his main aim was in first making the Connection series all those years ago. Enjoy! Well, so, yeah, the yeah. main aim really was, I mean, was to connect people, to make people feel that they were part of something rather than watching some program about something they didn't understand or didn't want to, whatever. Yeah. So the whole, of the, the whole of the series was meant to leave you at the end feeling, I am part of this process, that, that something I do has an effect somewhere and that I should think about those things. So empowering them to... In a sense, empowering. To, to, to do something about this scary technology well, that's least, affecting their lives. Or at least to be aware of It'll it be, and to okay. recognize that if, if they did something themselves, it did not go without effect. Yes. Um, in the nuts and bolts sense of the word, it mm. was really a, how the lonely genius isn't mm. true. Yes. Um, that the, the technological determinism isn't true. Sorry, say, say, lonely genius, I understand, say a word Technological on... determinism, yeah. which is a theory that says, you know, technology cannot be avoided or, or, or stopped or modified. It has its effect and you will obey, as it were. So and this I... is in the height of the Cold War, etc. So the, the inevitable mutual destruction of the planet by the Cold War is... That kind was of... part of it. Yeah. But the other part of it was to say, look, look back in history and realize that in 1614 when Descartes created this thing called Cartesian method. Yep. Uh, you know, he, he gave us the idea that it was better to learn more and more about less and less because the method says split anything into its smallest component parts. Yep. When you understand them and how they work together, you'll understand how the whole thing does what it does and why it affects you the way it does. So this reductionism, yes. because that's what you're doing, reducing it, yep. 
This reductionism then drives innovation in science mm. for the next 400 years and essentially means it creates disciplines that become more and more isolated from other disciplines because Indeed, of the way yeah. they specialize, yeah. as you as a scientist will know. And effectively, ultimately, you know, the, 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 the trick of being successful in a Cartesian world is to make your niche so small there's only room in there for you. Yes. And then express yourself only in your own gobbledygook. Indeed. And in this way, you're incomprehensible and therefore irreplaceable. <laughs> and a pal of mine is a perfect case in point. Mm. He was at Oxford with me and he got his doctorate in Milton's use of the comma. <laughs> and he ended up as the head of department, and I won't say which university in America, but a big one, um, because he did exactly that. Yeah. I mean, he knows more about Milton's use of the comma than anybody in the galaxy. So nobody will ever displace him. And that's the secret of reductionism. Now, what it does, unfortunately, is isolate the specialties, the disciplines, one from the other, yes. to the point where we don't know what somebody's doing because we don't understand what they're doing. Yes. And Norbert Wiener, who was the man who invented cybernetics, really, during yeah. the war in World War II, once said, I thought very perceptively, mm. innovation and change comes in the main from the from the no man's land between the disciplines. Yes. In other words, he said, when one and one, when things come together the way they never did before, one and one causes three. Yes. Silly example, uh, Maybach, the German engineer in the 19th century, oh, yeah. puts together gasoline and the scent spray, the perfume spray, yep. and comes up with the carburetor. Oh, yeah. Uh, nobody could have ever foreseen that those two things would come together to yeah. that. And then make, having made the carburetor, he makes a modern motor car possible. And that happens again and again and again. And what uh, connections... My back was one of the uh, uh, Daimler Mercedes yeah, Daimler, yeah, Daimler founders. Yeah. Uh, and, and as I tried to show in connections, that's what connections does. It shows how yes. it's the unexpected input that from left field, yep. one that you least expect, and the one that neither of the disciplines involved understand. I mean, I lost count of the number of times when mm. I was working in television, mm. that I would call somebody yep. who was the world's expert on, uh, I, I never did this, but I'd always wanted to, you know, there are 42,500 kinds of mites, little insects. Yeah. Each one is attached to a PhD. Right. So you call that guy and he knows one forty second, one forty second thousandth about mites, but boy, does he know it. Yeah. Ask him about mite number two. He has no idea. Yeah. It's not his field. Yeah. And time and again, people would say, why are you asking this question? It's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. Well, of course it does. Of course it does. Yeah. Uh, because we all live and we all bump into each other. Well, so I, um, I think the, the ideas that you were conveying then have become more fashionable now. Um, a lot of uh, funding into academic research. Uh, they talk about interdisciplinary oh, research sure. being the bit. Um, I don't think it really happens, but um, in the way that I think you're describing. Um, but it's, uh, it's certainly being talked about as, as the way... Oh, oh, more, than, more than that. My old college, Jesus, is, is build, it has a new building, at, yeah. don't say what cost, dedicated, and when it's finished, yeah. to interdisciplinarity. Science, interdisciplinary studies of various aspects of science. That's okay. all they're going to do in that building. Wonderful. So it's more than just yeah. passion. Do you think it's possible to be too broad and too cross-cutting? What, what, what do you think is the... Um, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a famous design company called IDEO. They talk about... Um, recruiting T-shaped people, which they mean they have a depth of expertise in one domain, I don't know, might, <laughs> but then a sort of breadth of knowledge yeah, across yeah, the disciplines, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that being the kind of blueprint. I, th I think that's, a, that, that, that's going to be probably the next thing we do, just before we hand over the T-bit to machines. Okay. I mean, the one thing it seems to me in the argument about AI is how long is it going to be? I personally believe a very long time 
before a computer has open-ended curiosity, as every human being has, yeah. and the, uh, which is the ultimate ground of our, of our creativity. Yeah. Uh, so far, I haven't, and I don't know anybody in the business who would, who would say that computers are remotely near that kind of capability. They're very clever and they're very fast and they can do massive amounts of work. No. Monte Carlo equations they can do in five minutes, take you your lifetime. Indeed. That's not open-ended curiosity. No, but, so, but you just said you think that the, the top bit of the T, the kind of... The, the generalist breadth, bit is, well, a, is well, the human bit. That's the human bit. Yeah, that's oh, the human bit. But the, 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 the depth piece will, the be, detail, will be overtaken by the machines well, in, of course, at, at some point. Because, because the essential part of the T, mm. the down part, the downstroke, is immensely detailed knowledge about immensely limited mm. areas, which is what Cartesian reductionism is all about. So what you've just said there makes me very happy just because I, once upon a time, I did a PhD in uh, the ultrasonic imaging of bitumen-fueled, uh, bitumen-filled cable boxes, uh, which was my specialism. You and the mites then. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I uh, quickly ran away because there were only, well, probably five people in the world that knew what I was talking about <laughs> and, and even cared. And, yeah. and that wasn't interesting to me. But it was, I mean, you know, for mm. its time, these things were essential. They've given us the world we live in. Indeed. We're the healthiest, wealthiest people in history. But so I think what you're saying is at some point in the future, our job as human beings, oh, sorry, I'm extrapolating some yeah. of what you're saying, so please put me right, but um, is to, to be endlessly curious and to connect these dots Absolutely. in a way that machines Absolutely. simply cannot? Absolutely. Not cannot. I mean, maybe one day, but at the moment can't. Okay. I would have thought foreseeable future. So I'm 45. Oh, in your lifetime? No, definitely never happened. Okay. I mean, I think it's 100 years away, maybe. I, g given everything, my, it's my children's moving faster and faster. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, so, um, sorry, we've leapt straight to the present no. and the future. But, Connections. Um, well, well, no, it's great. I'm, so, I'm, this is all very rich. Where did so, I get it from? Well, did you always have this inherent sense that everything is connected? Or no. is this something that you kind of learn? Where did you learn it from? How did you come to that realization? I, I, well, I, I came to the realization by working on Tomorrow's World. Okay. where everything was not connected. I see, I see, and, I see. And, and I saw in the world around me mm. things being changed very fast. Yeah. I mean, the, the, just around about the time you were being born, mm. the country was, the country the West, was going through a period when technology was for the first time mm. impacting people in ways that they could see and impacting them, you know, by the time you understood the gizmo, it was out of date. Okay, you so know, what, examples, you read the manual, what examples were having Well, I mean, above all in computing. Above okay, all, okay, above sure, all yeah. in computing, the yeah. one that, the only, really the only one that matters. Yes. If right. you think about what computing was 60 years ago and what it is now, yeah. I mean, it's boggling. Um, mm. And the introduction of the internet mm. caused massive amounts of discontinuity, yeah. A, by avalanching people mm. with data if they wanted it, whether or not they understood it. I mean, access doesn't mean a damn thing if you don't understand what you access. And this is the period we're going through right now mm. where we have almost unlimited access thanks to the internet mm. and almost unlimited ignorance about what we find. And the educational system we have is a 19th century system trying to handle 21st, 22nd century problems. Yes. So, I mean, unless we radically alter how we educate people, mm. this massive problem of ignorance plus access is going to go on bedeviling social situations. It's why populism is happening in politics. Um, yeah. Straying away. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, so this is all what, ultimately fascinating to me because I think the work that you've been involved with and in a completely different way, the work that I've been doing in the last 10 years is, mm. is sort of rec recognizing everything's connected. Yeah. That creates huge opportunities for new ideas, new innovations. Yeah. But it also um, it means businesses or organizations or societies can be sort of, um, you know, 
obliterated or uh, overnight in and some ways. And will be and are being. Yeah. Um, if you look at what's happening in the high streets right now. Indeed. I mean, the high yeah. streets won't be there in seven mm. years, eight years' time. Um, but, but you strike me as someone who is, well, maybe the optimism-pessimism thing is an unhelpful distinction, but you strike me as an inherently kind of optimistic... Pessim- uh, per- pessimists jump out of the window and are no longer involved. Uh, okay, so they, they uh, opt out. If you out. want to be involved, you've got to be an optimist. So, um, well, just let's go, let's go straight to the present and the future then, rather than trying to stick in... Right. It, um, well, actually, I am interested in... So you had this vision for what Connections was and the, the message you were trying to communicate, but then it became so huge in America in particular. Yes. So, so how, how did it get interpreted? Well, I presume it, 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 it morphed to some degree from what you originally expected, or, 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 or did it achieve everything you wanted and hoped for at the time? Oh, no, nothing ever achieves what you hope <laughs> for, never, in anything. I, I, America, Americans are inherently, in my experience, a much more open-minded yeah. society. Their social structures are much looser than ours. Mm. the way people interact and the expectations people have of what they can do and get out of life are very different from ours. Yeah. Ours, ours are changing towards that. Did you not, live in America for some time? Or? No, but no. I went, I've, I spent enormous amounts of time in America. Yeah. I perhaps should have said at the beginning, I'm, my dad's American yeah. and, I, and my mum's German, but I grew up in Britain, so I, th- I, I have a yes, I think family. It, I think what happened was it, it connections attracted the American, the American mind much more readily than it did the British mind. I mean, there was a lot of opposition to to this kind of what mm. you referred to earlier as a generalist way of looking at things okay. from, from the academic community. I got a lot of flack from Did people you, who were saying... Well, because you were dumbing down? Spurious, yes. Spurious. Spurious and dumbing down okay. and making, making links where there weren't any, um, giving people the idea... Do you think that, there was some truth in that? Were no, you, no, 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 okay. no, of course not. I mean, you know, I've read more bloody monographs on those things than they have. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks to the computer, because I can sit yep. at my computer and hit the yep. University of California 13 university libraries anytime I like and get any monogra- monograph I want in 10 seconds. Yes. And you do that. That's called research. Yep. We don't make it up as we go along. But I, I think, to go back to where I got it from, it wasn't that I was, I was you know, waking up at night saying, gritting my teeth and saying, I must do something to save the world. Mm. I wasn't like that at all. I, I got an opportunity to do something that I knew I would enjoy because I liked the research above all. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like the excitement of turning a page and thinking, holy shit, look at that, you know, when you realize that the guy has come up with the answer to the question you're wondering, worrying about. Yep. And I was reading a book called Medieval Technology and Social Change by a marvelous man who was already emeritus then, right. dead, long dead. Yep. And I rang him and I said, he was in California, and I said, mm. look, I'm a BBC nobody, you've never heard of me, blah, blah, blah. I, I read a very interesting footnote in your book. And he said, what's that? And I said, you say that the introduction of the stirrup in the 8th century, from Afghanistan into Europe, which the French realized was better than one step up for a camel. They put one on either side of the horse, stuck their feet in it, and hit the guy with the power of the horse as well as the lance and became what's called shock troops, and they won every battle. Okay. And you say in your little footnote that this led essentially to the introduction of the feudal structure of society where the king had ranchers called dukes who raised horses for him, and that's all they did. And that pyramid became the basic structure of the feudal society Mm. and he said yeah and I said well I think that this should apply to the whole of history and I'm going to try and do that would you mind and he said I stole the idea you steal the idea and I said professor (laughs) you stole the idea (laughs) and he said something that has driven my life for the rest of my life since Hmm. then he said young man you don't think we're born with ideas do you we're not born I mean everything everything we do is plagiarized to some extent or other and and so 
that was why I enjoyed the research. Because mm. if you read widely enough, you, you know, you're scooping out other people's minds, but yep. they in turn scoop yeah. somebody else's, yep. and so on and so on. You know, lesser fleas have lesser fleas. Does the joy of making an unexpected connection diminish the more you make them? Never. No, never, never. And the whole point about building something like connections is you start with, it doesn't matter where you start, I mean, Macintosh has a pal in the Glasgow... Charles Rennie Macintosh. No, 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 um, no, Charles Macintosh, the uh, Macintosh, Macintosh man, rubber man. Oh, oh sorry, right. Okay, Macintosh yeah. has a pal yeah. in, I think, the coal industry okay. in Glasgow, and he discovers that one byproduct from coal tar called mm. naphtha will dissolve rubber. And he invents a thing called the raincoat. Ah, yes. Or a Mac. Oh, okay. A Mac, yeah, of course. Yeah. And he tries like hell to get Kew Gardens and the government mm. to send an expedition out to South America to bring back rubber trees. And they say, no, nah, sorry. And he says, we'll make a billion. And they say, too bad. Now, that's as far as it went in that book I was reading. And I thought, that's really weird because they were going to make a billion. Yeah. Why would they turn it down? Yeah. You turn over the page and they turn it down because they're putting all their money into somebody going out there mm. to bring back chinchona bark, right. which is, provides the drugs that they hope mm. will create artificial quinine. Okay. Because the, the malaria. You know, colonial yeah. administrators are dying from malaria like flies. Yeah. And in fact, what happens is they don't. Mm. It doesn't work, mm. which then triggers mm. a fellow who decides to try and find quinine in coal tar. Okay. He fails. Hmm. But what he does find is artificial aniline dye. Okay. Fine, everybody has nice colours, but somebody drops a dye into a petri dish and discovers that it will stay in a specific bacterium, bingo, chemotherapy. Now that's the kind of excitement you get when you're reading wow. in wider circles. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how many thousands of biomes no. I read, but I've read a lot. Yeah. And at a certain point in the development of somebody's work, mm. there are the obvious things. Yeah. He gets a job teaching it. He but produces something made by it. But there are sometimes un, there are sometimes mm. moments when you think that's odd, like Macintosh being turned down, and you read read mm. into that, and that leads you through to the next person. For my, you see, the point about the connective approach to stuff and the and, and the connection series, yes, is something to do with how television works, maybe even how reading books works, yeah. certainly how education works, yeah. and that is surprise the reader, surprise the, the student, surprise yeah. the kid, yep. make the particularly in education. Make it make the kid realize that the next thing the kid hears is going to be something valuable and exciting because it'd be something he'd never heard before. Yeah. Um, so always surprise. And, you know, surprise is exactly what happens in the history of technology and science with these ripple effects. I mean, a silly example, a typewriter solves massive problems for the American office workers mm. in the late 19th century, brings all those women out of the kitchen and into the office, and then boosts the divorce rate. I mean, okay, it's emancipation. Yeah. yeah. So nobody ever foresaw that. Nobody. Especially the pianist who invented the, mm. the typewriter. But so how do you... Um, you've obviously been doing this now for... Long term. A long time. So how, how do you teach others to have... To be alert to those connections? Because... So there's a famous example, uh, which you may be aware of. Two doctors... So the story, as I've heard it, is two doctors um, uh, in Great Ormond Street Hospital, Children's Hospital... Uh, had had a failed, had lost a child mm. in an operation and were sort of depressed, slumped in the kind of common room of the hospital. Mm. 
and on the TV in the corner happened to be um, Formula One uh, racing um, on the TV. And they they observed the the pit stop maneuver in, in Formula One racing, the kind of the beautiful choreography of I don't know fifteen twenty yeah, people right. descending on a car in three seconds, and um, and they realised that um, <clears throat> a lot of deaths are caused by bad coordination yeah, sure. in in the operating yes, theatre, yeah. and so they 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 had the wherewithal in this exhausted state, having worked I don't know thirty six hours to to call in uh, I think it was McLaren. Um, to learn how they do pit stops and then apply that, that methodology, that. Yeah. Um, saving lots yeah. of lives yeah. and reducing yeah. the, the, the mistakes made by applying the, the kind of yeah. pit stop protocol yeah. in a hospital environment. So, right. um, so that was two doctors who were just kind of exhausted and depressed mm. and in that moment mm. just saw a, a spark of inspiration mm. for where how somebody you, else has solved this problem. Yeah, so how do you teach others to do that? Well, uh, how, maybe how do you give yeah. people... I'm not sure. Well, is it teachable? Is it? Yeah. So you talk, you've well, talked several times about education already. I so. suppose it's teachable in the sense that, you know, you learn, your life is one of only learning, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the next step is a test. Okay. And you didn't fall over, so you try another one. I mean, mm. you know, we live, we live our lives from second to second predicting. So, so the success of, to be a success in life in every sense of the word is mm. to predict accurately what's coming next. So this is really no more than a development of a talent we have anyway. Mm. And I think all you all you can say to people is, here's an example like connections. Mm. Look at it, see how it works, and see if there are any parallels in your own life. There will be, yeah. because everybody lives to some extent or other with problems to solve, mm. with answers to find, with predictions to make, yeah. and that's all connections does. It says, try try thinking about the, the way. You see, I think most people don't realise yeah. that they live with with decisions to make and predictions mm. to make. They just don't. They just live, and they think. Bloody hell, life is giving me a bad, you know, bad turn. Yep. Whereas if they had thought a bit more about how things were happening mm. and become a bit more aware of the possibilities, they might have avoided these problems. In mm. fact, I think that's ultimately what education teaches us. I mean, you, what's the point of knowing anything unless you can, can apply it? Yeah. I mean, even, even history, mm. you know, uh, learning about history, if only not to repeat the same mistake. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we fill kids' heads with data... Alas, because we're still reductionists, without joining up the dots in their heads. And I think what we need to do is mm. to... I would like to see kids spending, I don't know, an hour a week, no more, learning about generalist thinking. And to that end, I have this thing called a knowledge web, yes. which I've been working on for some years, in which you can play your own, your own do your own connectivity. Okay. Uh, uh, which is... it's a, How does that work? Well, tell, tell me a bit more well, about that. Well, I mean, the, the, this knowledge web is... Is online. It won't, it's not online yet. It's coming on, I hope, next year. Okay. At the moment, it's work in progress. Mm. 2,800 people, each one linked to up to 10, some more, mm. connections with people who were important, or things or events that were important in shaping what it was they finally did. Right. Or invented, or, or caused to happen. Okay. So each person, that many. So 2,800 people linked about 30,000 ways. And what you do is you take journeys through this web mm. to see the ways in which interconnectivity, interdisciplinarity can work so that when you move through history, you're moving all the time through different disciplines. We're not doing reductionists. We're not following the single trail. Yeah. One example, uh, Mozart. And the helicopter. Yes, you know that one. Uh, from your Radio 4 series yeah, recently. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, so 
So Mozart links to the helicopter. I mean, and and you can do that thousands of ways over. Yeah. And doing these journeys is like education. It's like what you learn at school. Mm. It's not the definitive answer, but it gives you the tools to find the definitive answer for yourself. Yes. And that's the purpose of education. I mean, you know, aspects of physics that I was forced to learn at school have absolutely nothing to do with mm. my everyday life. But something about the way I learned those things, yeah. or the way they themselves work, those laws, yeah. has a meaning for my life. So, um, just a, a quick anecdote, if I may. So, when I did my undergraduate physics degree um, in the early 90s at Edinburgh University, there was always a, a, a sort of Bible, a textbook, with um, various chapters and questions at the end of each chapter. And you would try them, and then there was always the answer at the back of the textbook. So, you'd always, you know, check if you could answer the questions by looking at the end of the textbook. Then when I went on to do my PhD in Manchester, as it happens, um, I remember halfway through my PhD saying to my supervisor, um, I, I just want to know what the right answer is. Well, you know, where's the answer in the back of the textbook? And, and the greatest lesson I ever got from my education full stop was, you need to figure that out for yourself. There is yeah. no textbook. So there's no answers in the back of the textbook. You need to figure that out for yourself. And I was, you know, 24 or something at the time, reason, reasonably had had 20 odd years of education and for some reason it had never quite occurred to me that that was my job yes yes um, I mean, education but i'm glad i learned it yeah, at I that mean, point i think most people consider education to be something that is finite you get to the end of it when yes. in fact the opposite is true i mean education teaches you to think and that's the yeah. beginning of it not the end of it so but you said earlier that um something along the lines of everything life is predicting you know uh, yeah, uh, yeah. but in this fast-moving world that we now live in which is highly interconnected um, do you not think that interconnection creates complexity and that complexity creates unpredictability? So it's getting harder and harder to predict the future. Oh, so that's a statement. I don't know if you agree with it. So. I, I, yes, I think, I, I, of course I agree with it. Um, I don't agree with the second part of it. Um, okay. It may Can be, you deconstruct it for me? Well, I mean, it may be increasing problems we need to solve may be getting so complex we can't solve them because of technology and its effects on society and so on. Okay. But... but but we have increasingly complex tools with which to do it for us. Okay. And that's, I mean, at this stage anyway, it seems to me that's what computers are about, solving problems that are too complex for us to do in the time available. Nor have we the time to learn that particular problem or the field related to that particular problem. Yeah. So the, the arrival on the scene of big data and predictive algorithms uh, is, is a major tool in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, already we are able to process massive amounts of data, much more than we were ever able to before, and chuck the algorithm in there and say, trawl through and find me patterns yeah. of people who are doing this or want to do that or where it's happening or the effects of it. And the algorithm is coming back and saying, well, I found these patterns. Now, that's the beginning of the answer. Mm. Uh, in other words, you see what looks like incohate, incoherent mm. uh, complexity. But in fact, if you look for patterns, it's not incoherent at all. But it's so massive and complex that as an individual, you can't find those networks. But the algorithm can. And I mean, I, I think... So will humans become redundant <coughs> as, as these algorithms become so... Well, I think, as I said to you earlier, yeah. they'll become the stalk of the tea. Uh, you know, the, the human being's job will be to sit back and say, oh, that pattern's occurring. Okay, do I see mm. a pattern within the other pattern? Okay. Uh, in other words... Ultimately, the human being's pattern recognition. ability to create, to think creatively, which is pattern recognition, yeah. will be aided by big data and predictive algorithms to mm. an extent where what the human brain does, I have no idea because mm. we've never done it yet. 
But clearly, 82 billion neurons are not there for nothing. Yep. They're not there for saying one on one makes two, or I'll pick this cup up and put it down. Yeah. It's 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 there. You know, it's probably the most complex process in the universe, the human brain. And I remember interviewing a a Nobel Prize winner on the subject, and he said, anybody who tells you they understand how the brain works is lying. Yeah. He said, I've only got a Nobel, a Nobel, and I don't know how the brain works. Yeah. So, I, I mean, this, I think the single most exciting thing to think about in the world is the brain, the human brain. So there we go. That was James Burke explaining how everything really is connected, from Mozart helping to invent the helicopter to Formula One racing teams reducing infant mortality. As you can probably tell, I absolutely love James's thinking and open-ended curiosity, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this first episode as well. If so, the good news is that this was just the first half of our conversation. We'll be sharing the second half in a future episode, which was just as interesting, if not more so. That episode is called The Age of Abundance, where James talks about the future. So before we go, please can we ask, like all other podcasts, that you like and subscribe to On The Edge, and perhaps share this episode with others who you think might like it as well. This will encourage us to make new connections and to find more interesting people to talk to and share those conversations with you. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, a community and a platform to help you navigate the uncertainty and complexity of our connected world. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep on connecting people and ideas, and if you do, you never know what might happen. Thank you and goodbye.